John said, Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Welcome to uh, week three of what has turned into our four-week series on, hey, wait a minute, Advent is terrifying. (laughs) Two weeks ago, we talked about fear, foreboding, and redemption with a heavy emphasis on the fear and foreboding. And then last week, we talked about fire and soap and how if God wants to redeem you, he must first destroy you. And now this week, we've got John the Baptist coming out of the wilderness, joining the chorus. Even now, he says, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's a great meme I've seen going around Facebook recently that has a picture of John the Baptist, hair all wild, wearing his camel's hair cloak, saying, Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. And that that comes from our reading this week. And John, in case you didn't notice, is coming out swinging. John said to the crowds that came to be baptized by him. These are crowds coming to John to be baptized. And he says, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't say that you've got Abraham for an ancestor, like that's worth something, because God can raise up from these very stones children to Abraham. Even now, he says, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Happy Advent. And so the crowds ask him the question, the question that anyone would ask, if they were told that every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to get cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowd, the tax collectors and the soldiers say, what then should we do? What should we do? You know, that question reminds me of my least favorite Christmas song. Now, my family will tell you that I'm a Grinch about Christmas music in general, always sort of holding out until the last possible moment to start listening to it and then turning it off immediately on the morning of December 26th, which is weird because I actually love Christmas. But this song deserves the Grinch treatment. This song actually makes my heart three sizes too small. (laughs) And I'm talking, of course, about John Lennon's Happy Christmas. The song starts with the line, So this is Christmas, and what have you done? And man, that is just a gut-punch way to start a Christmas song. Terrible. Merry Christmas, have you been good? But John Lennon is right in line with John the Baptist, isn't he? When the crowds ask John, 
What then should we do? He tells them how to be good. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. And for the tax collectors, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And for the soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. John Lennon saying, so this is Christmas, and what have you done? John the Baptist is saying, Jesus is coming, and what have you done? And listen, John the Baptist knows the sins of the people. He doesn't call them a brood of vipers lightly. And he knows about the holiness of Almighty God. So it's entirely appropriate for John to tell the people, hey, the Son of God is coming. Get yourselves in order. He's thinking like we've been thinking these last few weeks. Fear and foreboding, fire and soap. Almighty God is coming, so watch out. And what should we do with the news that God is coming? That God's advent is nigh? Well, it's simple, right? It's certainly simple for John. He says, be good. But even John doesn't really know what's coming. Even John doesn't quite know what Jesus is really going to do. Listen, after he tells these different groups what they should do to be good, to prepare for the coming of God, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is making it clear that he himself is not the one, right? Jesus is coming, and he is greater than John. And he's different than John. And I want to suggest to you this morning that while John is preaching the law here, which just means that he's telling people to be good, be generous to the poor, do your job honestly, be satisfied with what you have, He's not actually preaching the law as profoundly as Jesus will. Here's an example. Let's look for a moment at just one of these laws, one of these rules, one of these ways to be good that John preaches here. John says, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. That's simple enough. But look what Jesus says. When he comes in Matthew chapter 5, talking about coats and cloaks and tunics, Jesus says, if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. There you have it. This is a different thing. On the one hand, we have John's law. A law we can keep. You have an extra coat? Give it away. On the other, we have Jesus' law. If someone steals your coat, give him your tunic too. If someone takes what is yours, don't ask for it back. Give them more. On the one hand, John's law is a law we can keep. Feels good. You have something extra? Give it away. 
On the other hand, we have Jesus' law, a law we can't keep. Even the one thing you do have, give it away. Someone steals your coat, give them more. Your heart, Jesus says, should always be oriented toward generosity. And of course, it's in that same chapter, Matthew 5, where Jesus says that all of this is leading toward the real commandment, which is that you should be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. His point is plain. Good is not good enough. Only perfection will do. You see, John thinks he's being so hardcore, right? You brood of vipers. But in the end, John's law doesn't have nearly the teeth that Jesus' law has. John says, be good. You have something extra, give it away. Jesus says, be perfect. Always be generous from your heart. So which one are you going for? Well, if you're anything like me, I'm going with John. Give me a law that I can actually keep. And see, John thought that when Jesus came, he would come as the judge and judge according to John's law, John's rules, John's way of thinking about how to be good. Look at how he introduces him. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John thinks that Jesus is going to come kicking butt and taking names. Unquenchable fire. And it's all, John assumes, about who's good, wheat and chaff. But what John doesn't know yet is that Jesus is going to preach an even bigger law. A law about being perfect. And that this even bigger law will lead inexorably to the gospel. In other words, John's bad news isn't bad enough. So he doesn't quite understand how good the good news is going to be. A few years later, when Jesus is actually around preaching, John sends a messenger to him. Are you the one we've been waiting for, he says? The Messiah? Or should we be waiting for someone else? See, John's confused about what Jesus is doing. He's not doing it the way that John expected. Jesus, are you the one? You're not doing what I thought you would do, which is judge according to my standards. And Jesus isn't judging according to John's standards. Because John makes the age-old mistake that we all make, every single one of us, turning God's law into something we can keep. The tragedy of this is that John's law can't get us anything. Good isn't good enough. Only perfection can save us. And if we water down the law into something we can keep, if we turn be perfect into be good, we won't know we need the gospel. We'll forget that only perfection will do. We don't recognize that we're not perfect. We won't call out for the one who is. 
Because if only perfection can save us, then only Jesus can save us. Jesus, the friend of sinners, the friend of the imperfect, takes the first step when he comes and makes the law worse. He raises the bar. He says things are harder than we thought. He makes it impossible. He shows us our need. He shows us what love your neighbor really means. It means so much more than if you've got an extra coat, give it away to somebody. Love your neighbor means nothing less than those profound words that make up the command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about your coats. It's about your heart. Who can stand in the face of such a demand? Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. You see, we're afraid of a law that we can't keep. And we should be. It makes our salvation dependent on someone else. And that's scary. Except when that someone else is Jesus. John announced the coming of someone more powerful than him. And thank goodness, John pointed the way to the one, Jesus Christ, who would first preach the law in all its awful power, but ultimately not only preach the gospel, but in fact be the gospel himself. The law, the rules, the how to be good, shows us our need. It brings us into contact with our failings. It allows us to know the desperation for a Savior. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor. Call out for a Savior. The good news is that Jesus came to earth to live and die as one of us, not to give us a new set of rules by which to save ourselves, but to be our salvation. That's why we don't ever have to be afraid. John thought that Jesus was coming with his winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat, the good people, into his granary. But the chaff, the bad people, he will burn with unquenchable fire. John has a vision of a totally different kind of Christmas where the bad kids, that's you and me, get a much worse punishment than coal in our stockings. (laughs) Unquenchable fire. But remember what Jesus actually said when he actually came. The very first time that Jesus sits down to teach in the synagogue, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. But then he doesn't talk about his winnowing fork. He doesn't talk about wheat and chaff and unquenchable fire. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I will be perfect for you, he says, the imperfect ones. 
John Lennon sang, So this is Christmas, and what have you done? The gospel gives us a new song. So this is Christmas. Let us celebrate what Christ has done for us. Amen.